It's the Code St. Luke Telephone Broadcasting Service and Podcast for Monday, November 9, 2020. On today's episode, Kathy Diamond is here with her book review. She'll be talking about the book, Where the Crawdads Sing. Here's Kathy. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Kathy Diamond. And on behalf of the Eleanor London Cote St. Luke Public Library, I am back again with a short book presentation. Last month, we talked, or I should say I talked, about Albert Camus' book, The Plague, his by now classic work written in 1947 and eerily prescient of the situation that we are living through today. The book that I've chosen to talk about today is Delia Owen's fictional debut, Where the Crawdads Sing, which as one book reviewing article noted, is the sort of book that you've either never heard of or have already read for your book club. It was the best-selling hardcover title of 2019, It sold more than one million copies, which is pretty jaw-dropping for any first novel, much less for one by an author who has just turned 70 years old, living on a remote homestead in northern Idaho. Publishers Weekly has called the success of Crawdads the feel-good publishing story of the year. Reese Witherspoon, who is, one could say, the current day Oprah, selected it for her book club, and there's a Reese Witherspoon sticker on the cover of all copies of Crawdads, and of course that gave the book a huge boost in sales, the best publicity a book could have in America. Crawdads is not Owens's, Delia Owens, the author of the book. It's not her first book, although it is her first piece of fiction, her first novel. She is the author of three memoirs, which were co-authored, co-written with her then-husband, Mark. Apparently, they are now separated or divorced. And those three memoirs describe the experiences of the 22 years that they spent in Africa, living close to the land and working in wildlife conservation. So this is interesting. And on the back cover of the book, there with a little bit of biographical information, it says Delia Owens is the co-author of three internationally best-selling nonfiction books about her life as a wildlife scientist in Africa. She holds a Bachelor of Science in Zoology from the University of Georgia, which is where she grew up, and a PhD in Animal Behavior from UC at Davis. She's won several awards for her nature writing, and she, um, so she is, she's been writing for many years, but this book is her first piece of fiction. But what's interesting 
is where most fans of Crawdads, where the Crawdads sing, don't know. And what Owens's publishers certainly were not going to mention in their publicity for this book was, this is an interesting little part of the whole backstory, that Delia Owens and her husband have been advised never to return to one of the African, actually two of the African nations, where they once lived and worked. Zambia, um, as well as Botswana, because, and the second nation, Zambia, uh, Botswana was, they had been expelled because they were critical of the government's conservation policies and they were asked to leave. But in Zambia, the story gets a little bit darker. There, they are wanted, this is Delia Owens, the author of this book, and her husband or ex-husband, they are wanted for questioning in a murder that took place there in Africa, there in Zambia, three decades ago. The murder was of a poacher who was still unidentified, remains unidentified, which took place in 1995, and it happened to be filmed by an ABC camera crew that was producing a TV segment on the Owens' conservation work in Zambia. So this is not a piece of fiction. This was true. There was a murder um, a murder of a poacher that was happened to have been refilmed by an ABC camera crew that was there filming for a TV segment on Delia Owens and her husband Mark's work about their the work that they were doing there in Africa. So this story and that was that's not the fiction part that there's a murder there's a murder mystery that remains unsolved so kind of a little bit interesting and maybe a little eerie that Delia Owens has turned her first piece of fiction into a murder mystery slash coming of age story so there you have a little bit of background information that you probably won't won't find out if you're look if you're just going to look up some some you know reviews of the book But just to make it clear, Delia Owens herself is not suspected of involvement in the killing of this poacher, but her stepson and her husband have been implicated by several witnesses. So, interesting. Um, So, despite being set in a different time and place, this is not Africa, and this, this story takes place before 1995, This best-selling novel contains some striking echoes of those volatile years that Delia Owens spent with her then-husband in the wilds of Africa. So how does she begin her story? It begins with a brief prologue, and in this prologue, first there is a map of the marsh area of the Carolinas where the book is set. And then there is the prologue, and the prologue is dated 1969, and it reads as follows. Marsh is not swamp. Marsh is a space of light where grass grows in water and water flows into the sky. Slow-moving creeks wander, carrying the orb of the sun with them to the sea and long-legged birds lift with unexpected grace as though not built to fly against the roar of a thousand snow geese. 
Then within the marsh, here and there, true swamp crawls into low-lying bogs hidden in clammy forests. Swamp water is still and dark, having swallowed the light in its muddy throat. Even night crawlers are diurnal in this lair. There are sounds, of course, but compared to the marsh, the swamp is quiet because decomposition is cellular work. Life decays and reeks and returns to the rotted duff, a poignant wallow of death begetting life. Very poetic, very beautiful, very descriptive of the, of the marsh and of swamp. And then the prologue continues. On the morning of October 30th, 1969, the body of Chase Andrews lay in the swamp, which would have absorbed it silently, routinely, hiding it for good. A swamp knows all about death and doesn't necessarily define it as tragedy, certainly not a sin. But this morning, two boys from the village rode their bikes out to the old fire tower and from the third switchback spotted his denim jacket. That's the prologue. So what is this and what's happening? And these two boys are finding something. It turns out that they're finding, so they found the body of this, whoever Chase Andrews is. And so Delia Owens, in in her first piece of fiction, begins with a very useful trick that murder mystery writers often use, which is, at the, on the first page, right at the beginning, you introduce your that a murder has taken place, a body is found, and then you flash back. And then you go back and forth until you bring the readers up to date in the story. So this is how Delia Owens begins her book. The main storyline spans in a date-jumbling, tension-building order from 1952 to 1970. Following Kaya Clark, the main character, the protagonist of the story, between the ages of 6 and 25, as she grows up alone in a shack in the swamplands of North Carolina after being abandoned by her family. And the first chapter of the book, the opening of the book, is very is very sad. It's that we meet this Kaya Clark, who's six years old, as she watches her mother leave home one day. And after that, one by one, Kaya is the youngest of five siblings of this family growing up in this shack in a swamp. She's the youngest that one by one, her older siblings leave and she's left with her father and eventually her father leaves her as well. So she's completely abandoned. She learns from the wildlife around her. She still remains in this swamp, gaining tricks of camouflage to 
evade anyone looking for her, including truant officers, because she decides after she goes to school for one day, is mocked and made fun of by her fellow students because she looks so strange, she's so odd. Don't forget, she's been living in this swamp all by herself. She doesn't know how to dress. Um, And one day of school is enough for her. She never goes back again, but she has to avoid the, the evade these truant officers. So she learns all kinds of tricks of how to camouflage from the wildlife around her. And the book is written in this very beautiful poetic kind of prose describing the nature. And here you can see that Delia Owens, whose previous books were her memoirs, were descriptions of her time in Africa. And you see that her forte really is nature writing, at least it was until this best-selling piece of fiction. And she acquires, our main character, Kaya, acquires hunting skills in order to feed herself. She catches mussels, she catches fish to sell to shopkeepers in the town beyond the creek in order to be able to get some money to buy herself the things that she can't acquire, that she can't find for herself in the swamp. So... As I was saying, the narrative begins with that prologue in 1969. So this is the time frame of the book. So remember, this is the South, and it's 1969. So officially, um, desegregation has happened, but it was not so desegregated, and and things had not really, you know, of course, not changed completely then in the situation between the Black community between and and the whites in that town. So again, the narrative begins with these two boys riding their bikes and they come across, they come upon the body of this Chase Andrews half submerged in a swamp. The rest of the story, the rest of the book is spent telling us how this Chase Andrews got there to be lying killed or dead in the swamp and why we, the readers, might wish that he never had been found when we find out just what kind of a person he was. In alternating chapters, Owens circles back 17 years earlier to when Chase was just a boy tormenting Kaya Clark, who, as I said, her adored mother had walked down the lane one day, left the shack, and never returned. Kaya has to learn for, until her father leaves her as well, how to avoid him. Her father is a drunk and a violent and very unpleasant drunk. And she quickly learns, when she's the only child left at home, to how to placate this violent man, which is a lesson, as, as Delia Owens writes, taught, for example, again, this is how she brings her nature writing into the book, by the minnows that Kaya watches in a nearby stream. Just keep out of the way. Don't let him see you. Dart from sunspots to shadows is what little Kaya learns in when she's trying to figure out how to stay away from this violent, when drunk, father of hers. But Kaya's real life begins at age 10. Her father has left too, finally. So she's left with no one, no family. She goes, as I said, she goes to school for one day. She's taunted as a swamp rat, and she never goes back. She retreats, basically, from civilization, turning elsewhere for her sustenance and survival, drifting back, as Owens writes, to the predictable cycles of tadpoles and the ballet of fireflies. Kaya burrowed deeper into the worldless wilderness, 
nature seemed the only stone that would not slip midstream. And what follows in this book is a gorgeous study of a life lived among the wildlife, among the, the herons and the gulls and the occasional human who treats her decently. For example, the love of her life is a boy named Tate who brings her books and teaches her how to read. There's, of course, as you can guess by this, there's a, quite a bit of romanticism about this idea of living with nature. Um, and, and the book really is, it follows in this style, very poetic, very beautiful, very lush and lyrical prose, um, and, and lots of nature descriptions. Over the years, Kaya, the marsh girl, as she comes to be known, develops into a bona fide naturalist. Thanks to the help of Tate, who comes, who has been part of her life from a very early age, who brings her books, who's the one who teaches her to read. Apparently, she draws very, very well as well, and she, her, she loves observing. And she becomes, she really develops into a naturalist, self-taught, completely self-taught. Um, and she translates, she learns to translate her observations into drawings and paintings. And she records them there into very carefully detailed journals. We see Kaya forage her surroundings to survive as the book goes on. She paws through the mud for mussels, for example, to sell to a local supplier and then uses that money in order to buy the, bit, the, the food that she has to buy that she can't, she can't find in nature. For example, the grits that she cooks for herself into cereal. She's described as being barefoot in two short bib overalls, but she's, of course, she happens to be very beautiful. She's tall, very tall and very slim, and she cuts a very, very, if a bit wild, but, but romantic figure when she's spotted occasionally by the locals. Although to the townsfolk, she remains the marsh girl, this poor, uneducated freak willfully living alone in a remote shack. But to Owens, the author, and to most of the readers, she is a majestic creature in a majestic world. Kaya knew the time of the tides in her heart, Owens writes. She could find her way home by the stars. She knew every feather of an eagle. When Kaya discovers poetry, because Tate brings her books, and he brings her books, all kinds of books, and among them books of poetry, um, she starts to write poetry. And she also experiences the first pangs of romantic love, and her whole existence as she writes is poetry, delicate and raw. But then the body of this chase is found, and she becomes the primary suspect. Who was this Chase Adams? He was the town rich kid and former high school quarterback. Because there was a town nearby, near the, the, the swamp where Kaya is living. And so this former rich kid and, and high school quarterback and superstar, he had seen Kaya, the Marsh girl, and originally he had pursued her as a conquest because it was among the high school boys, there was this contest of, oh, you know, that crazy freak girl who lives out by herself, um, and they would come and they would taunt her, and he, as a challenge, this this 
Chase Andrews, the town rich kid, um, tried to get her as a conquest. But then he finds himself also falling for her. He tells her, you're beautiful, you're free, you're wild. And, um, and he seduces her. Except he has to keep this dalliance um, secret from his family because his family has no intention. They are one of the better families in this town. And they would not be very happy if they would find out that their son is having anything to do with this swamp girl. So when his body is found, then Kaya becomes the, as I said, the main suspect in the murder. Who else could have wanted her? And I'm not going to give the whole plot away, but she becomes the main suspect. And then we move, the the, the writing, the, the setting of the story moves from these beautiful lyrical descriptions of a swamp into the courtroom because this is a murder mystery after all and this there are all these courtroom scenes. And this is, the courtroom scenes are a stark contrast of milieu. No more oak-lined lagoon channels to explore under the stars. Now Kaya's world comprises a locked cell, a pro bono lawyer, and a slick prosecutor. And it's here that Owens's writing changes. And it, it seems like her comfort zone really was in nature descriptions. And now here she has to be writing legal fiction. But she crafts a compelling court case. She puts in twisty interrogations and loudly overruled objections, all the makings of a good legal drama. What's missing here in these parts are the richness of Kaya's inner life, which she seems to lose when she's imprisoned, which would make sense. Um, and they seem absent in the courtroom. So, and, and all she, Kaya, who was such an astute observer of living things, having all spent all those years mesmerized by, by the, the, the wildlife that she was living among, well, here she is in a courtroom and in a jail cell, and there's, but she doesn't seem to be interested in observing the humanity around her in this courtroom. Um, and so then the book continues and the scenes, interestingly, in the courtroom, you could see them as working in a film, that they, this would work very well in a film. And I have to tell you that Reese Witherspoon, who put this, was, was instrumental, I think, in catapulting the sales of Where the Crawdads Sing by putting it on her book club, choosing it for her book club, she also has bought the rights to the film and will be making the film version of the story of this swamp girl. Anyways, the trial goes on and, and many flashback scenes. And these flashback scenes are very clever because they reveal things behind the case's physical evidence. And um, and there are observations that are told from another point of view, not only from Kaya's point of view. And so the trial ends. Eventually, we have these courtroom scenes. The trial ends, and Kaya is surprisingly, at least surprisingly to me, acquitted of the murder charge. Um, the arguments went back and forth, and somehow the jury was convinced that there was enough of a doubt that Kaya, you know, they were not certain that Kaya was the murderer, and she is acquitted. She is once again set free. She's free to go back to her shack, back to her house or where she lives in the swamp. Um, and this episode seems like it had just been a nightmare or a bad dream. I'm not going to give away the ending for those of you listeners who have not yet read the book. But suffice it to say that it contains a surprising twist. At least the twist was very surprising for me because I can never see these things coming. 
Some readers, I, I read some reviews and some readers complained that they felt that the ending was not plausible. But, you know, you can always say that truth is stranger than fiction. And um, so, as I said, I won't give away the ending. But to sum up the the story, Kaya is a vivid and original character. At times, her survival in isolation comes close to superheroism. You know, that you might also say, is this really, you know, plausible? But again, I guess it's fiction, so authors of fiction can do whatever they feel like it. Owens, the author, convincingly depicts, I thought, the instincts and calculations that get Kaya into and out of the difficulties that she faces. Without too much sentimentality, there is a strong emotional line in her desire to have, as she says, a shred of family because she's been abandoned. And this is the this is one of the themes throughout the whole book is that Kaya wonders to herself, how can it be that first my mother left me and she left? A mother is not supposed to leave its young. Animal mothers don't leave their offspring until they're ready to go out on their own. What did we do? What did I do that my mother left? And then all one by one, this, the older siblings left. They left because the father was, was, was a drunk and violent and terrible to live with. And Kaya was the youngest. So they just, as you know, you can explain it that this, the older siblings left because they just had to escape themselves and, and they didn't, couldn't take along this younger sister. And eventually the father disappears. And so that's how you have the situation that you have this girl who's living all by herself from such a young age. There is a kind of... Um, young adult literature quality about the story, this coming of age, there is coming of age, there's romance in the book as well, but that's offset by the possibility that Kaya is a murderer, because I guess she is the main suspect in this in this murder trial, and we know from the very first page, from the opening prologue, that a body has been discovered, so there is a murder here. Um, the storylines of the book also involve social competition, as well as this idea of a girl growing up, the character is being raised by nature and, and Earth becomes her mother. But there are also the storylines that involve social competition and violence. And those are reminiscent, I don't know if any of you remembers or read this a classic, an American classic, Theodore Dreiser's 1925 melodrama, An American Tragedy. Because like Dreiser, Owens combines the high tension in his writing and her writing with precise detail, details about how people dress and sound and live and eat, as well in Owens's case of, of, of the nature of the natural world. And the case, and so in Owen's case, the studies in her book are both human and natural, meaning animal and you know, flora and fauna. But very, but but reminiscent of an American tragedy, which is a wonderful book, by the way. If you feel like going back and reading a classic, Theodore Dreiser's *An American Tragedy*. Anyways, to conclude, surprise bestsellers are often works that chime with the times. Though it was set in the 1950s and 60s, this book, *Where the Crawdads Sing*, is in its treatment of racial and social division, again, this is America, the 50s and the 60s, the South, 
as well as the fragile complexities of nature, the natural world, which are obviously relevant to contemporary politics and ecology. So the themes are very, you know, today themes. These themes have reached a huge audience through the writers, through the author Delia Owens' old-fashioned talents for compelling character, plotting, and beautiful language landscape description. And not to forget, Reese Witherspoon, who, as I told you before, has bought the film rights, will be making a film out of this. So we can look forward to the movie version in the coming months. But in the meanwhile, read the book before, because the book in its writing, in its language, in its prose, is definitely able to do something that a movie can never do. Thank you very much for listening and have a good month. Well, that is today's episode of the Code St. Luke Telephone Broadcasting Service and Podcast. Thank you to our guests and thank you to you for listening today. My name is Daryl Levine. We launched this uh, podcast and uh, telephone broadcasting service at the end of March 2020. Of course, we had uh, closed our doors at that point. Uh, People could not come anymore to the library to uh, listen to interesting talks and so on. And this was a way of getting the content to you. One of the things that we did was set up a telephone number that people could call into every day at 2 p.m. so they could listen to this if they either didn't have a computer or maybe they weren't comfortable using a computer. Uh, And of course, we also later distributed this show through the regular podcast channels that people uh, who listen to podcasts are familiar with. And maybe that's how you're listening to us today. So thanks for listening. Be well, stay safe, and we'll see you soon.